So it is, uh, it is Wednesday, June 20th, 2018. Our message this evening is One Standard, Different Stations. This is uh, intended to be an encouragement to the body. I think it's something that has to do with right where we're at at this moment. And uh, I want to tell you right before we get into this word, though, that there is a team building exercise coming for the pastors. And uh, every year we try to sneak away somewhere together. We try to isolate ourselves in a way and remember all of the reasons that we do the things that we do. A lot of times that has been at Inks Lake, uh, but we're a trailer down and some other changes have been made. And uh, we were blessed. We're blessed because under the administration of Pastor Sutherland, we have been uh, working every month, putting expenses that this ministry has on a revolving account and paying them off every month. Mandy works really hard to make sure that we get them all so that we're not actually utilizing credit. I mean, we don't carry balances from month to month, but they award us points for those 30 days or so that we're in the middle. Those points have purchased for your pastors a cruise. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Now, when I say that, I want you to understand that's because we haven't figured out how to send our points to a missionary yet. Uh, I don't feel guilty even a little bit about it. And at the same time, I want to tell you it's sorely needed. Uh, It is important that we don't minister out of obligation. That our covenants that are meant to be an expression of our love do not in some way become a prison that we simply work within. And this is a time period where we get to sit with each other and laugh and relive some of the funny moments from the year. This year has been a, a particularly... Uh, incredible year. Uh, we tend to talk about that when calendars change, but if you think of it as a rolling 12 months, uh, well, even since the calendars changed, let's, let's start there. Uh, the Stevens have left seven times to go uh, on extended trips. We've been gone more than 70 days. How many of you work in a team at your office? Somebody else has your job. So Carlos, Brandon, when you're gone, What does that do to the employees that are around you? Somebody's got to carry that, right? The pastors have been carrying a pretty heavy load. And it's funny, every time we come back, I come back, it seems to blow up on them a little bit, you know? And uh, we want to spend some time recovering. More than that, if you think of the rolling 12 months, I've never seen a year of my life where we've buried more friends. Uh, Never seen a year of my life where we saw more defections from the faith. Never seen a year of my life where there was more satanic warfare. Of course, we've never had a year that was more fruitful or accomplished more either. The stakes are rising. It's difficult. Uh, And as we were singing in worship, he is worth it all. Amen? Because of that, you're going to see some new faces preaching here soon. Brother Caleb Brown is, is going to be sharing here soon. And you're going to see some familiar faces here. Some that have been here since the beginning. And our goal is to encourage you. We are a, uh, a church that aims high. I want to start there with you in 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 1. No, not 1, 11. I said 1 before I put on my glasses and I could see the verse. Finally, brothers, goodbye. How about that? <laughs> Finally, brothers, goodbye. 
Aim for perfection. Listen to my appeal. Be of one mind. Live in shalom. And the God of love and peace will be with you. You know, that really is our hope. We are working very hard for each family to unite with the other families. For us to share a sense of right order with God and man. This is not a ministry where we are favoring a select few to the exclusion of others. But it is a ministry where we're aiming for the highest possible application of the standards that God has shown us. We're unashamed about that. That will never change. If you are looking for consumer-driven Christianity, one that makes you feel good about right where you're at, this was never the ministry for you. And I don't believe that's why you're here. What binds us together is that we believe that no sacrifice is too much. Now, having said that, we are a body of many parts. Listen to how Romans 12 and verse 4 says it. Romans 12 verse 4. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all of the others. One of the things that's so neat about this is when I look in the, in the last row and I see Ray Ludwigson, and I think about us standing in Peru sharing the gospel, or showing up at a move and carrying a couch up and down stairs. And I look over and I see Steve. And, and we do all of the same things. Those two men behave and operate differently. But they're each precious in the Lord. Wouldn't you agree? Yes. Anybody find them precious in the Lord? Lindsay, how precious is Ray? You see, we are not cookie cutters. We're not binding together because we all have the same haircut. Or drive the same vehicle. Or like the same foods. Or any other thing. We are bound together because we are aiming for the very same high standards. Along the way when we are aiming for standards. There are different stations that we face. Can I show uh, you a picture from something right out of the book of Numbers. How many of you have recognized this chart before? You have seen it. When you look at this there are so many things that you could be prepared to hear about. You're aware that Judah camped in the east and Reuben in the south and Ephraim in the west and Dan in the north. You may remember that the standard of Judah was a lion. The standard of Reuben was a man's face. The standard of Ephraim is an oxen and the standard of Dan uh, was a bird of prey. Each aligned under that standard. But the reality is they were a, fle- a reflection of God's throne. That's, those are the four faces of the living creatures in the book of Ezekiel and the book of Revelation. That's not what I wanted to share with you tonight. There's a smaller part of this that you may have missed for years. I, I actually made that. You'd be shocked how many times we do not download things. They come right out of our own study. And when we do download things, even from trusted sources, how often they're actually wrong. I want to talk to you about the Merorites, the Gershonites. And the Kohathites tonight. They're all Levites. Somebody say they're all all Levites. And yet, these Levites, they have dramatically different job functions. And because of their job functions, their lives look different. If you skim Numbers 3 and skim Numbers 4, those Merites, you're going to find out something. 
Their duty was to have charge of the frames, the bars, the pillars, the sockets of the tabernacle. If you think of anything that was heavy associated with the tabernacle, the Merorites, they're the ones that had to lift them, had to carry them. If you go far enough into the book of Numbers and its reading, you'll find out that they're the only Levites that were given oxen to help them carry the stuff. They had four wagons and eight oxen assigned to them. Some of those Merites had to take care of that livestock. Owing to the heavy nature of their work, they looked different than the others. Now, we're never supposed to single people out in church. We do it all of the time. We do all kinds of things that you're never supposed to do in church. Because we're not an institution. We're a family. We, we're not here to cater to the masses. We're actually calling the elect out of the world to something glorious in Jesus Christ. When you're thinking of a Marite, I'm just going to give you a visual example today. They're big bulky guys with coarse hands. Daniel Smith could have been a Marite. You know why? They had to carry all of the heavy stuff. When you think of them, they had to train and they had to feed their livestock. They had to care for them. Is that a duty you typically think of as associated with Levites? But that was their duty. If you're trying to envision them, they may have been the kind of men that got up really early in the bed and got up really early in the morning from bed and went to bed really early at night. You know why? Because the oxen got up at the same time no matter what happened. They were tired. Their work was hard. It was physical. Now, what kind of men were they? They're Levites. Say that with me. What kind of men were they? Levites. The Levites all had one standard, but they had different stations. Not every Levite lived like a Merite. They didn't have the same work, which meant they didn't have the same schedule. They did not share every detail of their lives with the other Levites, but the purpose of their life was completely united with every other Levite. Moving uh, to the west, look at the Gershonites. These are relatives of Moses. Their duty was the curtains, the tent itself, all of the hanging coverings. You can read all of this in Numbers 3 and 4. They had even uh, the curtains to the entrance of the tent and all of the cords and services. But maybe the most pressing thing that the Gershonites had was their work was the actual tear down and setting up of the tabernacle. Man, what a responsibility. Is that plum? It's plum some. When God says it's 15 cubits by 15 cubits in this room, how far out of square could it be and God still be acceptable? Uh, can you imagine the pressure that they felt? These men may have carried with them drawings. You could imagine them with schematics in their back pocket. They probably had tape measures. It, it, it's not unheard of that one of them could have had a slide rule in his upper left pocket. If you're too young to know what that is, a, a calculator in his upper left pocket. They were familiar with heavy work because they're around the teardown and around the building up every time this, this tabernacle moves. Of course, they probably also were the guys on the job site that were wearing the white hats and could accomplish their entire day while still holding a cup of coffee in their left hand. Because they're not lifting the heavy things. They're there to make sure that the heavy things were lifted properly. 
even among the Levites, with one standard, with one goal, with one objective, they had different stations. Now, what kind of men were these? But they had one standard with different stations. Let's move on to the Kohathites for just a second. Korah was a Kohathite. Korah was angry because he was unhappy with his station in life. The Kohathites had such an interesting role. Reading again in Numbers 3 through 4, their duty was to have charge of the ark. The table of the bread of his presence, the ponium. The menorah and lampstands. The altars. The places where burnt offerings and altars of incense occurred. All of the sacred vessels. Now, if you read carefully, you find out that 8,600 of them are responsible for tending to those items. If you go through the dimensions of the items, the largest of the items is just a little bigger than a coffee table. 8,600 men to carry five items that are about the size of a coffee table. Sound like they assigned too much... uh, Too many people to that job? Think how serious it is, though. Each of the items they touched was considered so holy that in the word, a man was struck dead for touching the ark that was not a Kohathite. It was carried in a wrong way. It was not on the shoulder of a man. It was pulled by a beast of burden. And it it was irreverent and it displeased God. If that was what your work depended on, what kind of pressure would be upon you? Wouldn't be hard to imagine these guys with sterile gloves, lab gear on, discussing their favorite psalm or relaxation technique while preserving the holy things. Now, what kind of men were they? Levites. And the Levites had one standard, but they had different stations. In these three groupings of Levites, you can imagine them hanging out at Pastor Sutherland's house. What that must have been like. The Merorites are the first to arrive. They show up and they're fellowshipping, but somewhere around eight, they're starting to check their watch pretty often because they know that first thing in the morning, somewhere around 4.30 in the morning, they're out having to work their oxen. They're having to prepare. They're probably stretching their sore bodies because their work was hard and it was heavy. Now, the Gershonites are checking out the Marionites and they're going, golly, those guys are peeling out and it's only eight. Of course, the Gershonites also have to get there early. But when they get there early, they're not going to break much of a sweat. They're mostly going to walk around and point frantically for other people to be lifting heavy objects. You got me so far? They're checking their schematics regularly, making sure that it's according to the pattern of God. They arrive at the job site somewhere right around 6 a.m. But as I said, they got to stop at Starbucks on the way in. Now, the Kohathites, the Kohathites in our Sunday night fellowship, they're hanging out and it's 2 a.m. And they're still talking about the things of God. They're still hanging out. They feel themselves very dedicated and are excited about it. And they are dedicated. Nothing to be ashamed of. Of course, what is really working under the surface is they're also burdened because they have the high task of carrying on their own shoulders and no one else can carry it. The very holy things of God. So they were up late that night. And when they got up that morning, they were prayerful asking, God, am I up to the task? I don't want to get this wrong. If I get this wrong, then all of the Marites work is for nothing. 
If I get this wrong, all of the Gershonites work is for nothing. Can you imagine what that must have been like? Now, what kind of men were they? They're Levites. All Levites had one standard, but they had different stations in life. These men loved each other. They operated under that one standard while living in different stations. They even physically lived in different encampments. You know, I have to imagine what that must have been like when they were thinking about carpooling together. Hey, man, we're all going to the same place. We might as well hop in the same car. Yeah, but that requires a much bigger sacrifice of me than it does you because we're leaving at 4.30 in the morning and I didn't go to bed till 2. Well, you should have left when I left at 8 o'clock. Can you imagine the discussions that could be going on there? But the reality is they were all living in a way that was appropriate for the load that they had to carry the next day. They were all fellowshipping in a way that prepared them for what they had to do the very next morning. And they were all Levites. They were all living under one standard, but they had completely different stations. Number one, it took every one of their jobs working in unison for the work of God to get done at all. Number two, they all eventually arrived at the same place and went to the same place and all the rest of Israel depended upon their work. Oh, saints, when we think about what is happening in our fellowship, every one of you are Levites. You are a priestly nation. You've been grafted into that. That's what you're called to be. That is what we're aiming at. But it would be foolish to think that we all have the same station. When you're considering one body with many members, aren't we in places where our lifestyles have different needs? You know, I can tell you I had no problem working a Marriott kind of job, staying out till 3 in the morning and being at work at 6 a.m., but I was 20. <laughs> as, as time has gone on, I appreciate the fact that when the alarm goes off, I can kind of laugh and pray and thank God for the grace that is ours to get out of bed the next time the alarm goes off. I'm thankful for that. God has apportioned to each one of us the same standards that we're shooting for. You could call them standards of righteousness. That never moves. But the way a family with one child and a family with eight children goes about getting there, that's a dramatically different thing, don't you think? Oh, I'm not hearing enough reaction from that. You know, when we're thinking of each of these things, in our own fellowship, we're trying to represent this and that there's three houses on one street. That's interesting, isn't it? What happens in each of those three houses is holy, but it's dramatically different. It's dramatically different even though they're all Levites. There is one standard, but each of us is standing in a slightly different station. For instance, I might travel more than everyone else, which means that a Friday night when I can sneak off with uh, my firstborn son and have dinner, I take it. I don't feel the least, you know what, I'm not only not avoiding fellowship, I'm fellowshipping and investing in an area that is just as important as every other area. Look, when somebody in this church looks at you and says, man, we've missed you, they may not be trying to browbeat you or excoriate you for having missed a meeting to go see your son. In fact, they might actually mean what they said. They just missed you. 
We need to be very, very careful that as we're evaluating each other's lives and we're looking at what God's doing and we say things like, hey man, there's only one standard that we understand there is one standard and we all stand in different stations trying to apply that standard. Uh, Jennifer Hall is nodding with me and I'm remembering that she and I were climbing a mountain in Romania. And I was so proud of Jen. I was really a little surprised that she did it with such enthusiasm because I was tired. And, uh, you know, every now and then I stopped to check on her to see if she was okay, which was really just me needing an excuse to rest and, and blaming it on her. But do we expect her to climb a mountain in every place that Justin Treister is going to climb a mountain? Of course not. God has given her children to raise. He's given her other responsibilities that are just as holy as the furthest mountain that we could go to. We have exactly the same standard, but we do have very different stations. Amen? Amen. When you're thinking along those lines, it's hard for me not to consider Revelation 15.5. Let's look at that together real quick. In Revelation 15.5, after this, I looked... And in heaven, I'm sorry, after this, I looked and in heaven, the temple, that is the tabernacle of the testimony was opened. Now, you may not catch quite how profound that is, but in this sentence, we are lacing together two very different stations and saying they're a reflection of the exact same standard. What is happening is John the Revelator is looking into the heavens And he is seeing something that he's calling the temple and he's calling it the tabernacle of testimony. Those are two different buildings. They were built by different people at different times. And yet they were built based on one heavenly standard. Now that heavenly standard was expressed on earth in slightly different position and in slightly different proportion. Say position Position. and proportion. You can stand in reference to a standard of God in a different position than someone else and still be aiming for the same standard. You can stand in a different position than someone else aiming at that standard and have a different proportion of that standard represented in that day of your life. What that might look like, again, going back to fellowship, is that we expect of Michael every time we fellowship for him to be standing there because he's young and he's strong. And he's overcoming the enemy. And he has very few responsibilities in life. But what we expect of John Dang is entirely different. Because he's holding one of his responsibilities in his arms right now. And he's got another one in Joy's arms. John separated himself from everything in this world. He moved into the Stevens house for seven years for daily discipleship. I do not expect of John, nor does God expect of John... The same thing we expect of Michael. He is under the same standard, but in a different station in life. Do you know what his goal is right now? His goal is to reproduce that which he's seen in our home. And he's doing a fine job. I don't know how we could do it without men like John. When we're aiming for a single standard, we have to understand there are different stations. When you start and you're the new guy on a job, our missions are all out. Is that what we're after? Of course it is. But your station as a one year on a job might be different than a guy that's earned a month of vacation. You'd have to be European to do that. 
I want to show you the floor plan of the tabernacle and talk through this floor plan with you for just a second. Is that all right? Do I have your attention? I mean, is this a subject that's relevant to your life? We as a ministry will not, we, we will not cater to the lowest common denominator. If we do that, that's exactly what you'll get. We're going to hold the standard as high as it can be held until everybody aim for that standard. But we recognize that your station means that's going to come from different positions and different proportions. And we expect you to be able to scale what is being said. So when we stand up and say, hey man, the gospel is everything. No price is too high. I mean that. I mean that for every person. But how you apply that in your life is is highly dependent on the other responsibilities God's given you in your life. Let's take this this design for a minute. Who designed this? Of course he did. We're going to move from the east to the west. The east is the red gate. The uh, west is all the way back where the Holy of Holies is. And I want to tell you, if you get a chance to go to Jerusalem, we can go stand feet from where that stood in the temple. But this is a model of the tabernacle. While you're thinking of this model of the tabernacle, just engage it with me for a minute. Imagine that you've walked through the gates. You're staring at a bronze altar. What kind of things happen on that bronze altar? Sacrifice. Sacrifice. Sacrifice for what? Sin. Oh, let's just say you're sacrificing for sin or fellowship there. What is your disposition watching an innocent animal die knowing that you're not innocent? What what is your emotion like? What are your thoughts like? Somebody call one out. Guilt. Shame. Contrition. Repentance, right? Did God intend for that? Yeah. That's why He put that station there. If you start at the right... With the gates of praise and you move to the altar and then the laver and then the table of his uh, showbread and then the menorah and then the altar of incense and then the holy of holies. Would you be surprised to find out there's seven stations? When you're looking at the bronze altar and you're thinking, is it appropriate to be contrite there? I think the answer is a resounding yes, isn't it? If you made it to the altar of incense though, would you stand at the altar of incense grieving over uh, sin and the death of an animal? What, what should you be feeling at the altar of incense? Elation. The presence of God. Confidence. The overwhelming feeling that you're God's son. Do you know why? Because while you're aimed at that singular standard of worshiping God, you're walking through different stations. When you reach that altar, it's like saying, listen... You cannot approach me without this kind of heart and attitude. But then I'm going to wash you in a labor. I'm going to wash you in the Word. You're going to learn how to move forward. Then you're going to eat of my presence. And you're going to be enlightened by my Spirit. When you're standing in front of the altar of incense, your disposition very much would be, it's like I'm rising in the presence of God now. Well, what if we reverse this? What if you... The altar of incense advocate are going, hey man, I was at an altar one time and I just don't know how you could be so contrite. Why are you crying all of the time? That's not the standard. The standard is joy in his presence. Well, you are pointing to a facet of the standard, but it's not in respect to their station. 
How, let's reverse them. If you're standing at the altar of incense and you cannot get past the atonement, then you're equally flawed. God put a single standard that is the tabernacle. When you approach me, this is how. When we look at that and we assume everybody's at the same station, we're not being led by the Spirit, are we? In any one worship service at any given time, might somebody be standing at the bronze altar and somebody be standing at the golden altar? Of course they might. So just because you're excited and you feel joyful in that minute and you believe that that's what the Lord's doing, are you sure that that's what God's doing in JJ's heart and mind at that moment? And can you tell from the outward expression of JJ whether or not God's approval is in his heart in that moment? Probably not. We have to make allowance for the fact that there is one standard that we're all aiming for, but we stand in different stations. That's quite normal, don't you think? If you wanted to think through what it's like to experience a difference in station. Some of you have just had babies, right? So when you are driving to the hospital, I'm going to pick on Nolan for a minute. Nolan being a young man, a vigorous man, a bearded man. He's probably excited. It's the one time in his life that that speed limit is more optional than it was the day before. He's on a mission. He's going to get her there. What was it like the moment that you put Beniah in a car seat and you drove home from the hospital? See, you just experienced an extraordinary change in station. You feel the weight of a responsibility in an entirely different way. And somebody going, man, you need to get free. Why are you so worried about all the rules and restrictions? Well, because you got a life in the car. We had a life in the car before. Yeah, but now I can see it. I feel it. It's different. We're all aiming for the exact same standard. But you're standing at different stations, which makes emphasis different. It makes the way that it feels to you different. Do you not go through these yourself? Like... I go through phases where I'm like, worship, worship is everything. I could just never live without worship. And then, you know, the next year it might be the word is is everything. I mean, worship, you can worship with the radio. The word, the word is everything. And of course, the answer is you need both. We need to be very careful that there are never factions. A faction is a different, different thing than a division. A faction is a separation within the group. It doesn't have the decency to leave. It stands within the group and says everybody's wrong and we're right. A division actually leaves. A division says, I'm going to take as many as I can and go. Well, we've dealt with both, to be honest. But we need to pull together wherever our station is under one standard. And recognize, for instance, guys that are going into the Middle East and they know that they're going into the Middle East any moment. Might they have a little different emphasis on the imminency and the importance of some things? Yeah. Guys that know that they're going to be here for years and their job is to carry a heavier and heavier load and be pillars in this church and they're not leaving, they're actually digging in and preparing to stay. So a single night of fellowship is not as important as building a family base that never stops fellowshipping? Does that make sense to you? 
It's important that we grow up in these things so that we don't give the devil any room. You know, you've heard the expression, when you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. I'm glad you've heard the expression. Let's go to Exodus 32 together. In Exodus 32, beginning in verse 17. Say there when you're there. When Joshua heard the noise of the people shouting, he said to Moshe, there is the sound of war in the camp. Why do you think that Joshua thought there was war in the camp? He's a warrior. He's a hammer. Everything looks like a nail. There's commotion. I know what it is. Christians are like this so many times. We know what our problem was. And so when we see any problem in someone else, we have the prescription. Well, the problem with that one size fits all prescription is not everybody has the same ailment. Look at the way that Moses applied the very same thing. Moses replied, it's not the sound of victory. It's not the sound of defeat. It's the sound of singing that I hear. Notice that Joshua made an extraordinary assumption without even being able to thoroughly evaluate it or having heard from God. But Moses worked through the possibilities carefully. He was eliminating them, trying to discern the true issue. Not that there wasn't an issue. He's not ignoring it. He's simply evaluating it carefully. You know what this looks like? When somebody looks and goes, hey, that family's just not up to the standard. Well, that's possible. Or it's possible you just don't understand the vantage point from their station. What if instead you internalize that thought and went, are they in sin? Well, no, I don't know of any sin that is going on there. Is there a warning sign of some kind that I need to pay careful attention to? Well, I'm not really sure. Then don't make that assumption. Instead, say what you really mean. I sure would love to spend more time with you. I mean, wouldn't that be a whole lot better? Can I tell you that sometimes we've had some pretty frequent hospital visits? Sometimes we've had some challenging situations. It might be that to aim at the same standard from different stations means that instead of saying, hey, I sure would love to see you at the next meeting, you get in the car and drive to their house. And not because they're weak. Not because they're just not up to it, but because you love them and they're aiming for the exact same standard you are and they're at a different station and you've never been there, never been associated with that, don't understand it. Man, nothing could be more true about that than watching families mature. I've been pastoring now for 25 years. I've, I've lived at most of these stations. I remember when it was unthinkable that somebody would need a sermon note. I mean, and when you stood to preach with sermon notes, I really worked hard not to think badly of you, but I did. Because I was like, dude, if that's in your heart, why do you have to read it off of a page? It never occurred to me, ever, that there would be a day I would be standing before you and could lose my place or forget what I was saying. Because it had never happened before. Until it did. I couldn't imagine that somebody could get home on a Friday night from work And think that the best thing that they could do for their family is go to sleep, even if it meant missing a meeting, because if they lost their job the next day, that their family would have nothing. 
I never, I couldn't imagine that until I figured out what it was to be really tired at the end of a week and was trying to imagine that if you're fellowshipping with the Lord all week during your job and during those other things, that what you may need is not a group of 200 people. You might need a prayer time with your own family. You know, that's not missing the standard. We need to fellowship. You've heard it said and we preach it and say it all of the time. Hey, the early church, they met from house to house. That's true, isn't it? That's not a wrong standard. That's absolutely right. It is our standard. How much of the 3,000 member church fit in each house? Are you getting me? Don't you think that it would be more reasonable to read that statement as... The church was in the habit of meeting in each other's houses. That there was never a night of the week that you couldn't find people meeting in each other's houses. Do you really think that that meant that every member of the church every night forsook all other things and met in a house? See, I don't think it means that. I think it's easy to have that kind of reading when you're at a stage in life and your occupation allows you to meet in a house every night of the week. Okay, And I love that. I'm thrilled for it. My house is open every night of the week. But my house is in a different station than many of the houses in the church. Can you, can you feel me here? Yes. I want to make sure that what we are doing is aiming for the highest goal in one hand. And with the other hand, we are reaching out and helping anyone with their station in life without looking down on them. Otherwise, we leave room for the devil to come in and kick them in the teeth. And that's why somebody no longer sees it as a blessing when you say, I missed you. Offense can get in. You know, the proverb says that an offended brother is more unyielding than a fortified city. And it sounds so easy. It's like, well, just don't be offended. People that are offended don't know they're offended. They don't know that they're seeing everything through the lens of an offense. They're hearing everything through the lens of... They don't know it. But don't we also have an obligation to not offend? Of course we have to try. Now, when you're thinking through this, I'm going to advocate that we need the Spirit of God to show us what's happening in the human heart. I'm going to advocate that we need that. I'm going to tell you that it is not possible and that I have personally witnessed surface statements that have the appearance of wisdom. The scripture says thus and so, so therefore they are out of the standard. It's an awkward position for me because usually I've been sworn to a confidence and I know what is happening in that family that someone just thought was out of the standard and you don't. And I can't tell you. So I'm smiling. I'm like, you know, I'm not sure that that's what it is. But the scripture says, yes, brother, but what has the spirit said to you about this? See, we are not men walking around with a rule book looking to see who is out of the rule. You need the Spirit of God with the Word of God to show you what somebody's actual issue is. Can I tell you that the Israelites had a problem? They had a big problem. So Joshua wasn't wrong in thinking that they had a problem. But he didn't correctly lay his finger on what the problem was. He had a one prescription fits all scenario. And that doesn't work. Now, you can be a general practitioner and get away with that for many years, but you cannot be a man of God and get away with that for any length of time. As we begin to move forward, I want to say that there is one pattern, but we must not have one prescription for everything and everyone. There is one pattern in the heavens, but when the Israelites were mobile, they needed a tabernacle. 
When they were settled in their land, they needed a temple and they were built off the exact same pattern and they were in a different position and proportion in their day. Does that make sense to you? Okay. As we move, I want to address another issue so that you can see it clearly in the word. I, I'm not a guy who wants to just throw word light at you. First Timothy 2.9 I also want women to dress modestly and with decency and propriety, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. Now, as soon as you start to say, get rid of the braids, get rid of the gold, you have to figure out how to put on a good deed, right? Like, do you have a different good deed for rainy weather and sunny weather? And Obviously, when we're reading this, we have to embrace it and engage it with the illusion of the first time. We have to first know what it means to these people that are being addressed and then stretch through time 2,000 years and go, what is God's universal truth he is saying to us? And most commentators, most men of God have come to the conclusion that God wants modesty. So let's think through that for a second. My friend, Sheila Israel, she's as beautiful as she is godly. She sings like an angel. Raja could have married her off to anyone that he wanted to in India. But instead, Raja wanted to uh, keep a family together working for the standards of God. So Sheila is, uh, could have been a movie star, could have been in Bollywood. And instead, Sheila is a woman in love with the Lord, working to support a ministry. And her godly husband, who we lovingly call Ramu, which is a... Um, I can't even describe in English what that. It means he's a tough, bold man is what it means. Sheila wears midriff every day. Every day. So when you're looking at Sheila and you're looking, say, at my beautiful wife, we have a real issue here. It would be easy to go, Sheila's not dressed modestly. But an Indian man that glanced at Jennifer even for a second would turn his face away slightly if he were in India. Because Indian women do not wear pants. They don't wear pants because you can see the form of your legs. They don't think it's modest. Which woman is sinning? See, they're standing in different stations. They're aiming at the exact same standard. And because of their position on the globe, they're, they're in different places. We can all argue about where there is a question and have to work through it. But you make a serious mistake in discernment if you look at Sheila and say, you have a sinful heart. You've missed God's standard because I know her and she's not missing God's standard, but I also would not let my little girl dress like that in Sugarland. They don't look at us and say, you have a sinful heart. They look and go, wow, standing in your station in life, you know, maybe that is what you should wear. I'm going to let you work that out with the Lord, but we're all aiming for modesty. Doesn't, doesn't that have a ring of maturity in it? Okay. Even if you're right, we need to be careful that we don't have truth given out of time. And what I mean by that is, there was a few years ago in this church that a mother instructed her daughter about the evils of abortion. Can you imagine how that went? Well, the issue is that the level of instruction that was appropriate for her at her age, then that daughter shared with my daughter, who was much younger. What she said was true, but it was truth that was out of time. My daughter was, she had nightmares for weeks. 
Okay? Now, I'm saying that to you because we can say the standard is truth, and that's true. But if you're standing at a two-year-old station, you might need to know that that's about people harming children. If you're standing in a medical position in your 30s, you might need to know a whole lot more than that. Does that make sense? Never at any time has the standard changed. You are looking at the station. And the only problem with that example is their station has to do with maturity level. But in our tabernacle example, those are not maturity levels. They're just where you happen to be standing at that moment in your relationship with the Lord. Does that make sense? Okay, we're going to move forward because I think you're getting it. And I didn't really want tonight to be a teaching night. I, I do want to teach you, but I want to encourage you. Let's move to that next slide. Here you see the temple and the tabernacle right next to each other. You know, do you remember in Revelation fifteen five that when he saw into the heavens, it was called the temple and the tabernacle? That's because the reality in the heavens is what on earth was being built. And at different times, it looked slightly different. You say, how can that be? They're looking at the same standard. Well, everything that is in the tabernacle is also in the temple. And vice versa. They have all of the same components. Do you know what the difference is? One is movable and the other's not. You know what other differences there are? When you look at the size of things that are in the temple, they're larger than the tabernacle. But they're literally according to the exact same uh, proportion. They're proportionate. So if something is a multiple of five that is in the uh tabernacle it's also a multiple of five in the temple it's just more of them are you hearing me that's how you can look at one standard and go wow depending on our station we may have more or less of this doesn't it make sense that if you never had to move it again you might build it larger come on now nobody's had to move in this church if you never had to move again when you think of your dream house is your dream house bigger than the house that you live in It's because nobody ever plans on uprooting their dreams. Do do you see what I'm saying? If what you're aiming for is permanent, you might build it larger than if it has to move every week. Okay, that's what's going on with this. Neither one was wrong and neither one was better than the other. They were reflections of one standard, but at different stations. The tabernacle had to be moved. The temple was permanent. You know, this is not really much different than a couple Versus a couple with children. They're aiming for the exact same standard. But the couple with children has something added to them. That means their proportions have changed slightly. They're looking for exactly the same thing. But now because of a responsibility. They have to relate to those standards slightly differently. If you really want to play that all the way through. Consider the stations of being single. Then being married. How does that change your life? Then married with young kids versus married with teenagers. Can I tell you how hard that is? Versus married with grandkids. See, all of these stations have one standard that never changes. But at different places in your life, those, those, those standards of fellowship and teaching and righteousness, they might be applied differently at your different stations. The way that you teach and engage the word, the way that you fellowship... Two-year-olds fellowship differently than 18-year-olds. It's really quite that simple, isn't it? Let's go to Matthew 6 as we begin to move towards a close.
Matthew 6, 33. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. You know, that is the standard of God. But a man who has no other obligations, seeking His kingdom and His righteousness... His hours of his day might look a little different than a man that is feeding five children or eight children. A man in Saudi Arabia seeking after that, the hours of his day might look a little different than a man in Japan or in the United States. That's what I mean by different stations. No matter what your station is, the standard will always call us higher. Not your kingdom, God's kingdom. No matter what your station is, the kingdom is everything. The reason that we don't teach like this very much is there are some that will say, hey man, this is just my station and what they're actually doing is hiding in mediocrity. We mean to challenge you right where you're at. Wherever your station is, we're saying you can go further. You can go higher. You can do more. You know why? Because none of us are anywhere close to Christ yet. We're not a church that honors complacency and apathy. We are trying to inspire you. But what we are not trying to do is browbeat you about your station. Philippians 3 in verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining for what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. See, that really is the goal. That you are not living beneath your revelation. That you are not living beneath your station. That in aiming for the standard, you haven't settled for something less than you know that God called you to do. That's why we preach the way that we do. I want to say unequivocally, I'm as proud of the men and women that have been behind this pulpit as anybody anywhere. I am not apologizing for their speech, and I never will. I'm not apologizing for the high attitudes that are here, of of aiming for excellence. What I'm trying to do is bring some clarity to the application of the principles that we're aiming for. The principles are not wrong. They're blessing people all over the world. The principles have been transforming the lives that are in here without any question. But we do need to apply them appropriately based on where you're at in life. This takes me really to Matthew 25. And I want to read you verse 23. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful. Go ahead and advance that slide. You have been faithful. I'm sorry. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. As we're, Peyton, you want to come this way. As we're talking about this now, this is the response of the master to the men who were given talents and increased them. We could teach on talents forever, and you've heard sermons about them probably your whole Christian life. You know, a talent could be considered a thousand days wages. Think through that. This is not you're given one dollar, somebody else is given two dollars, and somebody else five. This is you are given an unimaginable blessing. 
I want to talk to you tonight and tell you that that's the revelation that God has given you. He's put it in your hand and He's put it in your hand vis-a-vis what you have learned during your time with us. You are responsible for increasing that. He rebuked, He handed out five, two, and one. The only man that got a rebuke was the man that took that revelation and simply camped on it, dug a hole and buried it. He did nothing with it. He was ever hearing but never increasing. Each man, no matter what they were given, whether they were given five um, measures of revelation or they were given two measures of revelation, each man that increased what they did, they were growing, they were moving forward. They shared in the Master's happiness and He added more to them. When I'm preaching about one standard but different stations, you don't get to stay in the station you're in. Your kids are going to grow. Your life is going to grow. Things are always going to progress towards the standard. It is not an excuse to dig a hole and say, this is the way that I am. It is, in fact, a way to acknowledge that we cannot compare apples to oranges among us, nor should we. Each of us is compared to Christ. And each of us is called towards Christ. We want a discerning heart that is lifting each other up. This ministry has a father's heart for you. And when fathers look at their children, they don't compare one child to the other one as better or worse. They compare each child to his maximum potential. That's how we're looking at you. We're looking at the standard of God and your maximum potential in its expression. As Peyton is here and ready, we have two scriptures that are worth hearing. I'm just going to read them to you. Colossians 3, 23. Whatever you do, somebody say, whatever. Whatever. You know, depending on your tone and intonation, that can mean so many things. I can preach my heart out trying to uproot offense. I can preach my heart out trying to correct misperception. And some people are going to look at me and just, whatever. The Word takes such a strong stand about that. It says that you're self-condemned when you do those things. That's what the Word says. I'm not saying it, the Word is. My heart is that you would hear what follows the whatever statement. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. See, only you know whether or not you are giving your entirety to the Lord. You're giving your best to the Lord in the station you stand in. I may not be able to judge it appropriately. Charlie and Baj may not be able to judge it appropriately. But you know. Make sure that you are never using your station as an excuse for something less than giving your whole heart to the Lord. We do mean to step on toes in that regard. It's intentional. We stomp on them on purpose because we think He is worth it. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. Your ultimate goal cannot be to please us or to meet some perceived cultural standard here. If you feel like you don't align with us or we don't align with you, that's the wrong question. The question is, how are you aligning with the Lord? I'm not standing here as somebody that can't be corrected or superior. I think you all heard that in the last few messages. And if you haven't heard enough, come talk to me personally. We grieve over our decisions. We pray over them. 
But I want to say something confidently. The leaders of this church have aligned this church with the Lord. I could write just like John writes and say our fellowship's with the Father and we want you to have fellowship with us. That is a confident reality. That's not arrogant. That's the truth. And it's bearing fruit everywhere. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. At the end of every day, if you are asking, did I live up to my calling today? Then you'll never have to be worried about us stepping on your toes. You'll be doing all of the work yourself. That is how we live. That is what we're aiming for. Every day, never a day where it's not true, we know that the Lord was proud of us. Our last scripture is Romans 14, 4. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. And he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Our belief is that whatever station you're in, even if we have a disagreement about it, our feeling is that the Lord is able to make you stand because you belong to Him. But He gave you us and gave uh, us to you so that we can stand together. That's the point. It is a fearful thing to have to stand alone with no one else and just you and the Lord. That's supposed to come at the judgment day. Now you're supposed to stand in a loving body of Christ that both calls you to a higher ground and understands that there is no such thing as a one prescription fits everyone. We have a single pattern we're shooting for. You're going to apply it differently than the guy next to you, and we're all judged for applying it to the fullest extent that we can in our station. I don't know any other way that I can preach that. That is 57 minutes, and now I'm going to ask that we do something, that we stand to our feet, that we begin to worship together. And here's the goal. Your pastors have been grieving over the condition of our congregation. The word says to us that we must know the condition of our flocks. So when we're caught by surprise about something, or when we've delayed too long in doing something, when we hear that our sheep are not doing well, and by our sheep I mean any one family, we don't sit back and take that idly. We are not a place that is working the numbers. You are not to us expendable. We believe that God will hold us accountable for you reaching your maximum potential. We're also not cowards, so we don't mind challenging you right where you're at, even if that means you leaving. But our goal is that you would not only stay, you would thrive. That you not only would thrive, you would find life and life abundantly. That is the goal of Christ for each man. Can you imagine that you were in a church and the pastor could care less how you did personally? Well, you shouldn't have to imagine that very hard. They're all around us. I'm going to say this for the last time. It is an extraordinary privilege to be in this room. I know that because we built it with our own two hands. I get to travel everywhere and I cannot wait for the days that I come back here and I'm with you. It means everything. And it's surely not because we're building retirement accounts for ourselves. When we go somewhere, the three families go together. And we use credit card points to do it. 
We are not fleecing you. We are trying to feed you. Y'all pray with me.